Shemite. Welcome back to the H-Hour podcast. Don't forget, you can become a patron of H-Hour by going to patreon.com forward slash HK podcasts. Get freebies, get exclusive invites to events, get uh, free tickets sometimes as well. And uh, you get to be part of a very niche community, very cool community of uh, ultra podcast fans in there. It's great networking, to be honest. Really good conversation going on. So yeah, patreon.com forward slash HK podcasts. Sponsoring the podcast today are the Development Society. The Development Society is a community of people who want to be better than they were yesterday. They are more than just a clothing company. They are truly a community of like-minded people looking to improve. And they're the best kind of people. From merchandise in their store, where you have to earn the merchandise, not simply buy it, to weekly Zoom yoga sessions. They're the best kind of people you can find. They are hard workers. The community is open to all who want to improve. So if you want to get involved, join their infamous Daily Waves newsletter and their Slack community. They're active on social media. You can find them as at the Development Society. And to get more of an understanding about their philosophies, you should visit their website, which is www.thedevelopmentsociety.co.uk. You can know them as DevSoc for short. Definitely check out their website. Definitely check out their social media. Get involved in the Slack community and, and sign up for the Daily Waves newsletter. You're not going to get spammed. You get good quality content to your inbox. And you sign up for that newsletter on their website, which, like I said, is thedevelopmentsociety.co.uk. Cool. Check out DevSoc. And in their own words, in the meantime, stay wavy. Also sponsoring the podcast today are monkey mountaineering who are a veteran owned niche adventure travel company they were founded in 2017 by sam marshall and now in their fourth year providing mountain based travel and adventure holidays the main trips they offer include treks up kilimanjaro the highest mountain in africa tubkal the highest mountain in morocco and north africa and akangagua the highest mountain in south america they also offer treks to everest base camp Everyone wants to do Everest. Everyone wants to do Everest. It's on everyone's bucket list, right? Well, Monkey Mountaineering can offer you treks to the base camp. And they've recently added other treks in Nepal to their portfolio, including a trip to climb Mera Peak, which at 6,467 metres tall, high, tall or high, tall high, 6,467 metres high is the highest trekking peak in Nepal. 6.5 clicks straight up. Sam, who set up Monkey Mountaineering, has been a mountaineer for over 30 years. During his service in the army, he was lucky enough to be involved in expeditions to climb hardcore mountains on every continent. He now uses the skills and experience he gained as a military mountaineer to run his company and help people make lifelong memories through fantastic mountain journeys. You can get hold of monkey mountaineering you can check out what monkey mountain do and where they've been and what they've been doing and what they've got planned you can do that by going to their website which is monkeymountaineering.com but they're also on social media obviously facebook at monkey mountaineering and instagram at monkey mountaineering check them out give them a like be inspired by the awesome images from some of their trips and uh, maybe get yourself on one too cheers sam and everybody at monkey mountaineering also sponsoring the podcast today are Rugby for Heroes. Rugby for Heroes who have just held an amazing online gig uh, 
with entertainment from uh, Tom Cook, Patrick Woman Band, and they raised a shared load of money for military charities. This time the beneficiary was the 353 Trust. And they have got more events planned. Rugby for Heroes, they fund, that's what they exist for. They exist to fundraise for military charities. They are a not-for-profit organisation, and they were formed in the wake of the death of Private Joe Whitaker, who was sadly killed in operations in Afghanistan, serving with the Parachute Regiment in 2008. Rugby for Heroes came into existence in 2009, and since they came about, they have raised in excess of £110,000. An incredible amount of money when you think that the first 10 years, they were doing one event a year. That's a, a huge, a huge, uh, a huge testament to the quality and the entertainment provided at their events. Their events are predominantly rugby and uh, rugby and beer oriented. Rugby, beer, and music, or rugby, beer, music, and food oriented. High quality events, and they had a load planned for 2020. It went Pete Tong. It's now 2021, and their next event, I'm very glad to say, is going to be on the 26th of June. It's going to be a beer and gin festival. No, it's not. It's going to be a rugby festival. Rugby festival at Old Lemontonians RFC. Get on to rugbyforheroes.org, rugbyforheroes.org to get the information on that event or visit the social media at rugby number four heroes, rugby for heroes. I will see you at that event. It's going to be incredible. Thank you to Mike uh, for sponsoring the podcast, R4H, Rugby for Heroes, and uh, for doing what you do for the military community. It's very much appreciated. Last but not least, sponsoring the podcast today are the Aardvark Group. The Aardvark Group exists to try and rid the world of unexploded ordnance and landmines. The threat of, I should say, unexploded ordnance and landmines. And they're doing that by trying to rid them of the actual flipping devices. Absolutely. They were founded in 1982 and they were done so with the express objective of developing a mechanical landmine clearing system which would meet the design criteria which Aardvark's founders considered to be the prime critical factors, namely for the clearance of all known anti-tank and anti-personnel mines using mechanical and manual means. But also, and critically, the location, identification and disposal of all munitions and unexploded ordnance. In case you were not aware, the task to clear... In fact, if you're ex-military, listen to this. You probably are aware. But if you're not aware, or you're not ex-military, you listen to this. The task to clear the world of landmines is enormous. The estimate of numbers of landmines varies, but is is in excess of 90 million. With some sources, such as the Red Cross, saying there are closer to 110 million mines unexploded, lying underground, lying in the ground, waiting to mess someone's day up. The problem is not just the number of mines, but it's the huge areas contaminated. Croatia, for example, has got an area of 4 billion square metres contaminated by landmines. So area clearance is a real issue, and the cost of area clearance is a real issue. And so Aardvark focus on the commercial viability of their clearance process just as much as the effectiveness of their technology and their methods and their processes. If you want to find out more about Aardvark Group, they employ a, they employ a significant proportion uh, of their workforce are ex-military, and they do a huge amount to support the the, uh, the military. For example, sponsoring this podcast, uh, you can find out more about them at uh, the Art. Uh, oh God, brain fart. Aardvark Group. That's the website. Aardvark Group, um, and on social media is the Aardvark Group. They're on LinkedIn. They're on Twitter. They're on Instagram. They're on Facebook. Thank you, David St. John Clare, and everyone at the Aardvark Group. Onto the podcast. My guest today is Tony Shannon. Tony Shannon is a good friend. Oh, he described himself as an, as a, as an Ulsterman. He's from Ulster. He's from Northern Ireland. Um, he was a captain 
or left the military as a captain with the Remy Royal Electrical and Mechanical Engineers, and he is also the liaison officer, the newly appointed liaison officer for the Forces Barbarians RFC. This is a HR podcast. My guest today is Tony Shannon. Enjoy. Welcome to the HR studio. Thank you, Hugh. Um, secondly, to remind me what we've got you. What food have you brought in? You know that Mike Valance is going to be highly amused at this. The fact that you brought, you're the only person who's come in with a meal. You brought a meal to start the podcast with. I, I, we've already I, ate half of it. I think I'm going to be the only Irishman that comes up here with food as opposed to drink. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, we talked beforehand about Ireland coming from Northern Ireland, etc. And I thought to myself, well, let's bring up some Irish food. So, um, uh, mashed potato, uh, nation built on potatoes. Um, I've made you potato cakes, as they're called in England. We know them um, as spud bread um, or um, fudge. <laughs> seem to like word. I think it's a northern thing. <laughs> Isn't fudge a northern Saturday night delight, 3am delight? At well, it depends on how lucky you get in the club, but... <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 Fadge. Yeah. All RFC have just switched yeah. off. They switched the podcast. Fadge is potato bread, where we come from. Spud bread. And on top of that, you got Irish cheese. Um, I made some apple jelly, uh, chili jam, sort of apple jelly kind of thing. And then this is some Irish uh, Irish trout. There's some weight on that. Yeah, there you go, yeah. How do you think I get to be my size? What do you reckon? A taste bonanza, yeah? <laughs> So yeah, I thought you might like uh, something to eat. Um, if if I get an invite, I'll bring along some whiskey next time. I'll bring some proper Irish whiskey, whiskey with an E. Yeah, it's good. Uh, someone said that to me the other day. I was spelling whiskey wrong. Hmm. Well, it depends where you come from. Whiskey with an E is Irish whiskey. Whiskey without an E, as in W H I S K Y, is Scotch. There you go. See, even a lesson. Being a man from Northern Ireland, yeah. do you describe yourself as Irish and Northern Irish? Because you were talking about Irish whiskey, then. So this is the tricky thing. Uh, I uh, like to... Hey, that was delicious. <laughs> that was delicious. <laughs> well, I've got, I've, I've got three there, yeah. Um, I like to describe myself as an Ulsterman uh, because uh, I don't like to sort of put myself in any sort of kind of bracket. Um, and I think I always have done. Um, I follow Ulster. I think it's much easier to sort of say that. Uh, Ulster is uh, has three counties in the south, six in the north, etc. Um, yeah, I describe myself as an Ulsterman. I hold an Irish passport and I hold a British passport. Oh, yeah, because yeah, yeah. because I'm from Northern Ireland, I can do that. Yeah. yeah. I also thought it was pretty good with um, uh, coming up to Brexit that you can actually um, have an Irish passport and can work around Europe. <laughs> yeah, I'm putting my application in the end of the month. My mother's Irish. So ah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Sorry, did you say you couldn't cut things out? Can you cut that bit out, yeah? <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> what's, um, what's it like? To, you, hang on, Royal Engineers officer, what rank did you get out of this? No, Remy. Oh, shit. Remy. Sorry, mate. That's sorry, right. sorry, sorry, Remy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remy, um, I left as a captain. Uh, I did 11 years in total. Um, mind you, four of those beforehand were, were TA, serving with the OTC, because I was sponsored through school, sponsored through university. Uh, and then, yeah, I did eight-year service and then retired after that. So I think about 11 or 12 and 
pensionable in total. Talk to me about uh, talk to me about grow, growing up in Northern Ireland during those times, troubled times. The true, I think you grew up probably in the heart of the troubles, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then uh, and then and then and then coming across to the UK because I have a taste of what that's like through my mother being Irish, and she mm-hmm. had re- she she lost some good friends when I joined up. Yeah. Um, back home in, in Ireland. Uh, so talk to me, mate. Yeah. So. Uh... You don't really know any different growing up as a child, but in actual fact, it's it's more recently um, that my you know my my boys have been sort of saying to me, "What was it like growing up in Northern Ireland?" And it's not really until you cast your mind back to there that you actually think to yourself, "Oh, that's what it was really like." So I was telling telling my boys that you know, as of six p.m. of an evening, uh, there were barriers that went across the road in all town centres. Um, you had a curfew if you didn't have your car out by then. You'd, you know, you, you you're in pretty pretty serious trouble. They would, you know, sort of sus- suspect that there was a sp- suspicious package in there. Um, but when that becomes part of your normal life, you don't think, you don't think any differently. Going in and out of shops constantly, opening your bags, closing your bags, um, checking for bombs. Yeah, 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 and. Um, well, I wasn't checking for bombs, yeah, but um, other people were. <laughs> I, I didn't know any different. And, you know, when we were walking around Belfast, you know, you'd, you'd see, um, you know, patrols out and you wouldn't think anything of it. You just kind of just went about your your daily business, you know. You'd sort of say hello to the soldiers, whatever it was, you know. Um, but, yeah, it, it was all just part of normal life, you know. The only vehicles that were really allowed into Belfast or town centres, well, Belfast, um, where buses coming in and out and you know sort of taxis and things, but because it's part of normal life, you don't know, you don't think any differently. What about the what about the, the differences between the Protestants and the Catholics, the communities? Yeah, yeah. Because um, yeah. it really, I think these days, the, the, whether divides like societal divides or community divides or whatever divide there is going yeah. on, it always has attached to it something to do with uh, uh, like completely different religions, or there's always like a there's a there's a factor in there that you can tell visibly that someone else is not is from the opposite side. Yeah. Skin colour being a prime example, yeah. or certain types of dress yeah. that people wear or wouldn't wear. But that's not what the case in Northern Ireland was, right? You no, it's not. No, no, no. I mean, you, you can sort of tell maybe sort of accents or whatever, or you know, so sort of people ask you what's your name. It's the first thing in Northern Ireland. People say, "What's your name?" And I go, "Tony Shannon," and they go, "Hmm, what school did you go to?" And if you said St. Malachy on the hill, ah, right, yeah, got it, yeah. How can they tell from the name? Because Catholic schools would be saying something. Or no, I mean your name. Because if I sort of said Brendan Fitzpatrick, the likelihood is that's a very sort of Catholic name or names that, you know, w- you know would be chosen that sound very Catholic. So when I say Tony Shannon, they go, hmm. <laughs> so the next question comes, where did you go to school? Yeah. And if I said Lauren Grammer, you go, ah, right, you know. He's most likely Protestant or whatever. But that wouldn't... I, I never really sort of saw that. And it, it's quite interesting. When I was growing up, my, I came home one day from school and one of my friends, Ian Blakely, had been talking about Catholics and Protestants. It didn't really sort of register with me. I was, I, I was Church of Ireland, right, which is, which is Protestant. Um, but it, I, I never really sort of clocked anything. So I, I remember saying to my mum, um, what's, what's a Catholic and what's a Protestant? Mm. And she thought, and she said, well, who, who asked you about this? I said, Ian Blakely asked me about this. He said, well, you know, you know the way he likes Everton? I said, yeah. And he said, you know the way you like Liverpool? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, you know the way you both play football? And I said, yeah. She said, well, that's the difference. You both play football, but he plays for that team and you play for that team. But you both like football, don't you? 
And I find I've, I've stood by that. that. You know, the whole Catholic Protestant thing, I mean, boil it down to it. What, it, is it, what, it. what is it? It's Christianity, full stop, right? You know, and you want to draw a divide in between that? No. Here's me tearing the carpet out of hundreds of years of how this is sort of built up, yeah? Um, there's got to be some. There's got to be some way forward. And in fact, I think the big thing uh, about the province is that it's like spaghetti. You know, it's taken you know hundreds of years to build up to this, and in fact, it's going to take a long time to actually you know tease <coughs> tease out. You know, but I always loved that description of it. You both like football. He plays for that team. You play for that team. Yeah. Do you see it teasing out? Um, yeah. Do you see it teasing out at all? <clears throat> yeah, I do. Um, the problem at the minute is that it's going to go the other way. If people start talking about a united Ireland, I suppose there's a, there's a loyalist movement that doesn't want that to happen. So it would be the polar opposite of what you had during the Troubles. And people are worried about that. I, I know my folks are you know, are talking about that at home and they're worried about that. Yeah, but even so, you could do all, all, all you want with the borders and what, what that, that piece of land is called. Yeah. Um, but it wouldn't fix the divides internally. You're still going to have the religious divides, aren't you? I think you're always going to have that, and, and I think the only thing that's going to sort of tease that out is time. Uh, primarily because it's taken so long to build up to that. You know, it, it doesn't just you know sort of stop overnight. There's an awful lot less uh, paramilitary action than there was before. So it's going from yeah. Here's me sitting across you know in England looking at it from the outside, but. Uh, I think with time that starts to, you know, dissolve. But, you know, that th this is ingrained over generations. And because it's ingrained over generations, then in actual fact it, it's going to take generations to, you know, to come out, you know. But already, you know, my kids are asking me about it as if it's history. And I know a lot of the issues, are, you know, in, in Northern Ireland are still very, very real. Of course they are. Um, but, you know, it, it, you know, my kids are asking me, what was it like? Not what is it like? It's like, what was it like? You know? Well, what's the reality of the situation here now, generally? Because I know we, we get a, we get, uh, Sheila is the wrong word, we don't see the full picture and it's definitely not painted, it's definitely painted out to be a lot happier than what it is. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. There's, there's still significant issues going on there, right? Oh, the absolutely, absolutely. But look at the development. I mean, if you go to, across to Belfast now, it's, it's very much a metropolitan city. Uh, you know, for sure it's not being bombed out anymore. And, there, you know, there's tough areas, as there are, you know, any city. You know, you know, Moss Side, you know, any of the, you know, places in London that you you, you, you might go to. Just tough, hard areas. And it's, you know, it, it, it's like gangland and, you know, and gang warfare. Uh, I, I know there's there's still still paramilitary activity, but when you're on the outside of it, even, you know, being an Ulsterman across here, yeah, I, I check in on it. I go across to see my folks, et cetera, and see, you know, friends across there. But it's, there, there's a big, there's a big step change. Um... If you look at um, Game of Thrones being filmed um, across there, there's lots of things going in the right direction for Northern Ireland. And it is a cracking place. It is a cracking place. I couldn't wait to leave. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's your experience of paramilitaries when you were growing up? Brushing shoulders, your observations. Did you, did you, did you see much that you thought? No, I, I, I lived in, in Bangor, um, which was a, a sort of Victorian seaside town for, um, you know, for Belfast. Um, I went to school in Coleraine, which is right up in the north. Um, typically, they're Protestant sort of stronghold areas, if you like, if that's the way to sort of you know to describe it. The person we were talking about off air, yes, was from Coleraine. Really, the one that he who shall not be named. Right. That one. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, probably known. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the thing about Northern Ireland. It, it's very, 
the couple of things that really sort of frustrate me about Northern Ireland is that it's very <laughs> insular. Um, and we like people to come and spend money in the country as tourists, but you're not staying for too long, you know. Um, um, I've always found that we're quite sort of xenophobic and inward looking. Um, and that was one of the reasons why, you know, I wanted to, um, I wanted to leave. I, I, I love my country. I love where I come, you know, where I come from, but I just wanted to go and do you know, sort of other things. I, I find it very, very sort of close. Um, and everybody knows your business. And I'm, I'm more of a private person than that. Yeah, it sounds like the West Valleys, mate. But you did, you, you did answer the question about the paramilitaries. So, uh, uh, my involvement, um, none directly, um, but a lot sort of indirectly. Uh, I remember walking around Belfast during one of the uh, the extraditions, and there were thirteen uh, devices went off that day. Uh, you know, and my my father's a, a Belfast man. It was at one point he sort of said, "No, we're out of here. We're going." Um, in Coleraine, there was uh, my last year of school. There was, or maybe penultimate year, there was um, uh, a device went off, and you know it completely trashed the um, the town centre. Same in Bangor. So n nobody that I nobody that I knew, but I knew there were places that you know I couldn't go. Uh, I knew there were things that I, I shouldn't say to certain people, um, and um, you know the 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 secondary impact of like what? What do you say? What do you mean? You couldn't say to people. Well, there were, you know, when I was, um, you know, in, in town at any of the bars, there would be certain things you just, you know, just wouldn't sort of say. You wouldn't ask who's that or, you know, what's 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 happening there. You just just leave it. Kind of like when you see a drug dealer going on a pub when you're a yeah kid. yeah yeah absolutely, but but worse than that. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I had um, I, I went to, uh, to to Coleraine. It was a boarding school. Uh, I was an only child. My my parents didn't want me um, tied to their apron strings, so. They didn't send me to boarding school. I had an absolutely um, fantastic time there. But because of that, those little boys came from all over the province. And that was great. Um, and we go home to each other's houses at the weekend. I remember going back down to Dungannon. Um, I'm out with one of my friends. We're in a pub in Dungannon. He, he whispers across and he says, wouldn't it be funny if I told everybody you were going to join the army? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine that feeling, you know. Because that would not have been a, a good situation to be in. Um, I'd been in, in, you know, in other, you know, pubs, you know, uh, both both sides um, of the divide. You know, when the collection tin goes round at night, and you just you just put in, you don't sort of say anything, you don't make any principle about. Explain it. the collection tin for people who are not aware. The collection tin would be um, for organisations that require funds to support their activities in uh, Ireland. In the situation in Ireland, yeah. <laughs> what would be the re what would have been the repercussions, for example, if they if they if that you, you may have said, yeah, you would join the army in that particular place? I've got no idea. Uh, uh, I've got a fair. Well, I, actually, I've got a fair idea. Um, I don't think it would have been good. Yeah. You just don't want even to entertain that, you know. I mean, more more stupid me putting myself into that position, you know. But um, you're you're home with your mates, etc. You know, seventeen out in a pub, underage drinking, you know. If, um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it would have been good. Yeah. No, and I think even now, I think maybe I, last time I was over in Ireland, uh, so uh, was two thousand and five. I think. Yeah. I think. No, no, no. Well, yeah, for, on, on a piss up anyway. Two thousand five. Yeah, yeah. I remember then. I was in Galway. All right. I remember sure. with my cousin, and it's like, you don't don't go saying what you do, and that was two thousand seven. Yeah. You know. Um, 
And uh, and I remember thinking, no. and being slightly nervous, but because you yeah. don't know what you're going to be yeah, like when you're yeah, drunk. Yeah. And but to be honest, thinking back, once you've joined it, it would have been obvious anyway. I think maybe it would have been obvious anyway if you're if you're if you're military or not. Maybe or maybe not. I don't know. It's difficult to tell. I don't oh know. no, you're Welsh. That would just throw us into a flat spin. We wouldn't be able to work <laughs> you out at all. <laughs> yeah. What led you to, what, why did you decide to join up? I mean, you wanted, obviously wanted to get away, but why the choice to join up? No, I didn't want to get away at that point. Um, I think that was much more sort of later on, and it, it, it's my feeling about the province now. I don't miss the province uh, until I go back to it. Um, because, you know, well, I think very much like yourself, you deal with what's in front of you, what's the next challenge, what we're doing, etc. Um, but when I go back to the province, I go, oh, I quite like it. Everybody knows, you know, everybody knows each other. It's a nice, easy way. Um, a great way to describe the province <clears throat> is that if you walk down the street and you look at somebody for too long, they look at you and go, right, how you doing? All right. You know, uh, there's, there's not that sort of confrontation. People are, are, are friendlier, whereas if you do that in sort of the big cities across here, you know, people just think you're a weirdo. Um, what was the question? That's, sorry, that, I think, yeah, that's like a... Why does that exist? Because it exists in the Welsh valleys, right? Yeah. It must exist up north, that kind of attitude. Mm. To walk down the road and people say hello to you, and that is completely... In fact, it's unusual. In where I'm from, Coinant, where you grow, it's probably more unusual if they don't say hello to you, and you have a, you have a mini conversation in passing yeah, 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 to yeah. every single person you see. Yeah. Um, why? I wonder why that is caused in those areas. I've, why, I've, a hardship, uh, isolation... Uh, everyone knows everyone. The, I, I'm just throwing reasons out. Maybe because the industries that those places were born out of were industries that were coal mines, for example. Yeah, it was yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you worked, you lived, breathed, slept, shat, drank, worked with mm. the people next to you. You saw them all the time. So it was always a nice city, maybe. I don't know. I'm digressing. Well, I mean, Northern Ireland is a very close community, like really close. And I, I, I think just generally people are people are pretty friendly. It's different when you you know go to cities because you know people are you know bustling around. But uh, I know when I'm out and about in the place, it's it's kind of like that um, that attitude. You know when you're walking in the hills and somebody's going past you, you always stop and and talk. It's it's something along those lines. You know that people are just you know gen genuinely genuinely friendly. Mm. I interrupted you when you talking about joining up. Ah yeah yeah yeah. So when I was joining up, so um, uh, my father used to print tour magazines. Um, for the boys going through in Rulemont tours, um, we uh, got invited up, you know, to to sort of the the camps. Then it became, you know, my mother and father going up. Then I sort of came up, and um, I think what <coughs> sealed my sort of desire to join the army was that um, he was discussing the tour magazine. Uh, and I was given to some of the boys. The, the which magazine? Tour magazine. So, you know, when you're going through and doing the Rulemont tours? Oh. So, we're up in one of the camps in, in, in Belfast, and uh, a couple of the, I was given to the boys, and they took me around the camp, and I, I drove a Saracen around, you know, the, the six wheeler um, yeah. vehicle that used to have the uh, the water cannon on top. I got to drive that around the camp, uh, and my fate was sealed then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, they were RCT at the time, uh, but I had a, a sort of penchant to go and do engineering, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll sort of marry the two. And. Northern Ireland is a, is a really good recruiting ground, uh, both for, well, Royal Irish Regiments, the Rangers, um, but then also um, the grammar school system is, is, is a pretty ripe um, uh, recruiting ground for, um, for officers. Uh, so there's uh, like core recruiting liaison staff or, you know, sort of schools liaison officers, whatever it is, they come along to all the grammar schools and do talks on it. Um, I'd had a bit of an introduction to the RCT, uh, in Belfast, 
Uh, and I thought to myself, yeah, I'll put myself forward for that. So they were offering uh, scholarships through sixth form. I went for that. I uh, was interviewed for that. Um, got that. Uh, and then sort of was on the... I was on the treadmill then, if you like. Uh, they wanted to know if uh, uh, I would go for sponsorship through university. I went for that. I got that. Uh, and then after that, you know, I'm on the cycle and I'm joining Sandhurst in whenever it was, 97. Yeah, only a few years ahead of me. Oh, far ahead, actually. Yeah, so what was I, 22 and uh, how old are you now? 39. 39? Yeah. No, I'm 46. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, I've got I'm in my 30s for another mm. eight, six, seven, eight months. Parachute <laughs> maths. Eight months. <laughs> my 30s. I'm milking it. I'm going to say it as much as I can. I'm yeah. in my 30s. Yeah, yeah. Won't be long until it's gone. What are you going to do for your fortieth? I had a friend that made it last a year. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. Get this. Yeah. <laughs> She she didn't just have like one party, you know. That was sort of three or four years. She she made it last a year, and it was fantastic. You know, six seven parties, different fancy dress, all that. Milk it, yeah. You're gonna wait ten years for the next one, yeah. I don't want a party, mate. I don't want it. I don't, it's a birthday, isn't it? It's depressing. I, I, well, What's no. wrong with that? Forty. No, no I don't. I, I, I'm, I think it's just I'm secretly trying to avoid acknowledging it. Age. It used to be good fun, but. Mm. Where did you? So '97, you joined at a pretty good time then. <clears throat> pretty ripe time. Um, for ops and everything else. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, 97, I remember, um, 93, 97, yeah. Uh, passed out in whatever it was, July 98. Um, and before, just before I went, when it was when Princess <coughs> Di um, had been killed in the car crash. Um, and that sticks in my mind because I was, I was preparing, you know, all paperwork, admin, getting all my coat hangers to look the same, you know, all the important stuff, yeah. <laughs> And um, uh, you know, and, th and then that happened. Absolutely devastated about that. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Oh yeah. I was I, I was devastated. Um, I thought she was a great person. What she did, etc. Um, you know, uh, people of the princess or princess of the people, all that. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I thought there was going to be a lot more sort of involvement. Sort of, well, I didn't know at the time, you know, sort of but military involvement in that. But it was no, it was just a case of. That was a point in my mind. It was like what you know when Elvis died. I remember when Princess Di died. I was, I was, um, I was just, I was just going to Sandhurst. So, yeah, I went and got stuck into it. Yeah, uh, and then I was on the, um, the 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 treadmill of uh, of being a uh, a Remy officer. Yeah. Expectations? Did it meet them? Um. People wise, absolutely, but I think that's the same no matter which corps regiment you would join, you're surrounded by like-minded people, you're surrounded by good blokes, <coughs> on the whole, yeah? Uh, as a Remy officer, yeah, I enjoyed what I did, but if you were to sort of say to me, would I do it again? I would do it again for the people that I met, but I wouldn't do it again for the career profile that I had or what I did in my career. I think I would go Royal Engineers. Um, I don't know what it is about it. I just, I just always sort of saw them from a distance and thought, I'd kind of like to be doing that. I'd had a, an engineering degree. I didn't really want to sort of sit on it, and I found that I was becoming just too much of a just sort of general manager. So I elected to go um, and do OLAE, which was the Officers Long Aeronautical Engineering course, so I could convert and work on aircraft. Um, so I did that, and um, uh, yeah, I went and worked on Lynx and Gazelle up at Nine Ridge in Dishworth, uh, and that's when I joined the, um, the brigade. But yeah, I mean, through, through service, 
uh, yeah, that's when all the tours were kicking off. When you think about it, when I came to the end of my service, um, Bosnia had just finished, Northern Ireland was still going on, Iraq we were on Telic 2, um, Herrick we were on, I don't know what, 2, 3, sort of something like that. Everything was you know, sort of kicking, kicking off then. And we were involved in everything. There was Sierra Leone had come and passed, etc. So it was, um, it, was a, it was a great time to be a soldier, you know. Mm. How much is your, Vinarimi, how much is your team, teams, your units, chopping, the, your subordinates, how much did they chop and change throughout your time? Because, um, and how much of a challenge is that? Because the reason they ask is calls call always, they're always like an anomaly to me in terms of, I yeah. wonder how they experienced that compared to what I did in the infantry and power edge. Yeah, well, in, in the same sense you're trickle posted. Um, in that you've got constantly got people joining and you know leaving the the, the, the regiment, um, but I think with the you know the regiment you would stay with it far longer. Um, as as a young officer, you were you were moved around quite a lot to make sure that you got you know experience of each part of Remy before you in actual fact you got into sort of like a serious role. And in actual fact, you had some proper responsibility and you could actually you were capable of making a decision. You know, and uh, you know your Q man actually let you make a decision. You know. Um, so I started off at f f uh, 15 Field Workshop, um, that was Catterick uh, 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 Garrison. Uh, I then moved on to the Army Technical Foundation College as a recruit instructor. Uh, I stayed there, in actual fact, lo longer than I probably um, uh, should have. I was there for uh, a year and a half, no, two, two years there, two years there. Uh, then after that I went and did my uh, Officer's Long Aeronautical Engineering course. I went up to, to Nine Reg and then I was uh, posted to JHC. Um, to um, to finish off, so it's quite a quite a it's quite a round robin, uh, and you you see quite a lot of you know different units, and you meet an awful lot of people. So within the core, um, you know an awful lot of people because you're constantly you know moving around units, and you get known. You know, it was one of the things I loved about the core. And I, you know, it's a massive core. When I you know when I was there, there was nine and a half, ten thousand, uh, with a Remy cap badge on. You know, what was your most challenging time through throughout through your time? There, you talk about the operations, talk about um, getting in. Uh, yeah, what, what sticks in your mind? Anything in particular? Um, I've got one massive regret. I've, I've actually got one regret in life. One proper regret. And, and in actual fact, it, it affects me today in the way that I think. And that regret was, um, I wasn't happy not being badged. All right? Um, and all I wanted to do was not be, you know, sort of... <clears throat> 2.4 children, you know, run-of-the-mill officer. I always got this sort of special idea, this very different idea of me in my head. Um, so I elected to go and do the all-arms uh, commander course. Um, I got a week's notice to go in it, right, <laughs> to pack up all my shit and get it down to Limston. Uh, on the way down to Limston, my uh, car broke down. So I arrived at Limston with it on the back of a low loader. It was offloaded into the uh, into the car park. I then started the All Arms Commando course. We had a break break over Easter, so we had two weeks off, uh, and then we went back. And in the um, when I was off over Easter, my grandmother passed away, um, and I came back, and I just wasn't in the right frame of mind. And um, for one reason or another, uh, I just sort of said, "This is this is just too much. I'm I'm, I'm not right here." Now that's not the regret, all right? Taking myself off the course because, in fact, you know, with a week's preparation for, I was I was a fit lad, you know. I was doing seven minute BPFAs, you know. So I could really, you know, that that whole sort of fitness piece 
wasn't particularly a problem. <laughs> and in actual fact, the All-Arms Commander course is not necessarily about fitness, it's about admin in the field and being absolutely gleaming the whole time. That's what the most, most, most people will fail the All-Arms Commander course for. Um, my regret is not taking myself off the course. Myself, my regret is not putting myself back on it. Um, because there was, there were, it always seemed to me, whether it was real or not, there was always a push to get you on in your career, that you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, etc. You've got to sort of tick all these boxes. And I think that was created by me, not anything that, that you know, the desk officer who was posting me around the place, etc., was was expecting. You know, I, I think that I didn't realize that I could sort of say, no, this is what I want to do with my career. You know, I, I know you want me to go to that unit there. That's fine. I'll go to that unit, but I'm doing, this is what I want to actually do. And the reason I say that that sort of stood by me is that I've realized that, and, and it might sound obvious, but it's about taking control of what you want. And if you're not happy, just do something about it. You know, there's only one person stopping you doing whatever. And that, that you know, that's you making the decision. Yeah, I agree with you. But the one that always comes up is <clears throat> the counter argument to that is not everyone has the same opportunities today. Mm. But the, it always boils down to, I think, generally, you know, talking about mental health or talking about career decisions, talking about just general unhappiness and whatever you're doing, your job, like you're saying, your job, what you're doing in your job, your flipping pastimes, your relationships, whatever. Mm. There has to, there is all the hat has to be a decision point with you it sits with you and the only the only example interchange things now it, <clears throat> it's not to change things for where you want to be because you quite often you can't do that which you, which is that counter argument cards in change your job i can't change your job because i need the money because xyz but yeah you may, can but may decide to implement a change to give yourself a look at better opportunities or the smallest of things um like speak to your boss you're not particularly happy with what you're doing or just something it always boils yeah. up. and the only time that I can think where it doesn't that isn't the case is from a, a mental health situation where where you, your mental health deteriorates that much that you've passed the point where you can make a decision and you like you yeah. you're unconscious you're dead yeah or you you, you survive that's yeah. the only point because even you but then you need people even to make the, the decision for yeah, you yeah. even on the mental health side it's like when the the, the 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 hardest the la the last decision I think when you get the the worst the last decision that you ever going to make is going to save your life is to accept help to answer the door when someone's banging on it to answer the phone call before you decide to hang yourself or before you decide to take an overdose and because it, this is still a decision there it's still your decision not to act be act to not to um be active in whatever it is to, to change the outcome that's the only situation you can see is if, you, if you're dying everything else you can you have the ability to change your situation even only by the smallest of margins and even if you want to change your life or change what you're doing by a big margin it's impossible to take giant steps you don't climb the stairs by jumping to the top you climb the stairs by putting your foot yeah. in the first rung at the bottom yeah. the small piece you don't look at the whole thing and go i'm going to start you yeah. Change it a little bit. We change my height just a little yeah. bit. Bang! And I had to go on it's, about, it's about steer in it. Um, I know <clears throat> now that, uh, in in actual fact, um, I, I'm stuck with what I've got in you know in in job terms, because you know I've got to pay for the mortgage, all of those kind of things, etc., etc. And, and that, that, that's like one hotel cost. 
And I'm not going to turn that on its head and sort of say, do you know what, I want to go and you know become you know a, a fine artist overnight. Yeah, <laughs> it's it would be it'd be foolish to do that. But I do know what I do want to do. Um, and um, uh, more recently, I've had fantastic satisfaction out of building gardens. So I set up a small business, you know, to do that. Um, to do what? Build gardens, design and build gardens. Yeah. Now I've only built a few. Um, I, I think last kind of been, I'm on about five. Um, but the satisfaction, it's open, honest work. I work with the people to come up with the design. I go and get all of the materials. I get them. I, I only charge for my time. I don't charge for the materials so they get, uh, you know, they get a good deal. But I'm building gardens. And at the end of it, you've got something that's really tangible. And I'm like a pig in shit with that. <laughs> I absolutely love it. I would have loved to have been there 10 years ago where, I, in actual fact, I could... Are you going to have another go? Yeah, yeah. another try. I'm going to leave us yeah. to fear. All right, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure about eating because I think I'm going to spit it all over your microphone. Yeah, yeah. And then you'll have a, a, a trite smelling microphone the next time they come in. People are going to look at me. God, Tony Shannon, you didn't have stink. You have bad breath. Won't be, be me. It's my yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I, 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 it would have been nice to be in there sort of 10 years ago, you know, and sort of said I could have started that business off. Whereas now it's, uh, it's more of a pastime because I fit it in at evenings and weekends, etc. If, if customers or clients are actually happy with that, you know. But great, great satisfaction out of it. You know, but I, I I use that to sort of supplement. I'm going to start steering myself towards that now because being a subcontractor, I can uh, I can work four days a week, five days a week, etc. Whatever the the program you know demands of me. But I'm going to sign on to KLC, which is a, a design school down in London to do garden design, work out how to use all the computer programs, etc. And then you know, in actual fact, I can start to set something up that's a bit more than um, a pastime. So that's in the pipeline. That's coming. Yeah, completely out of the blue. That yeah, completely out of the blue. Make it serious, don't they? Don't they even? Design school, CAD, and all the rest of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you can turn around. You see, if you, if, if you do the design, I, 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 uh, my decision at A level was physics, math, and art. Was I going to be a fine artist, um, or was I going to be an engineer? Yeah. And my mother said, if you think I'm going to pay for you to run around art school with long hair and open-toed Moses sandals, you got another thing coming. <laughs> that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, but the whole design and getting involved, and you know, the likes of you know planting schemes and all that, I really, you know. I don't know whether I'm any good at it or not. I've had some nice gardens made. People have liked it, you know. So it's um, it's gone in the direction that I want, and ultimately, I'd like to sort of you know retire and do that kind of work. Why do you think you enjoy it so much? Uh, firstly, like I said, because it's honest work. You know, you work for an hour. You find that though. Honestly. Well, you work for an hour. You get paid for an hour, and in fact, there's a tangible result, not some sort of half cock spreadsheet. Yeah, it's uh, you know, and, and people people you know like it. It, it you've brought their ideas to life. You know, and if they haven't, I'll do something about it. Yeah, so that's where it's honest, it's tangible, and that's what I like about it. And the hands-on stuff. Are, oh. you, do you, are you doing the? Are you active in the building? That you yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the? Uh, you, I, I, I'm thinking you're a man who likes features in the garden. Extravagant features. Big features. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, no, got features. Yeah. Um, yeah, if, I, if I'm designing a garden, <clears throat> I would say it's better to spend more on one piece. This fucking podcast. Hey, huh? <laughs> we're on the gardening. I didn't... I just, just, <laughs> I'm not complaining. I just think to myself, oh my God, what have we got? Which route is the HR podcast taking on this podcast? Start from Northern Ireland with the troubles. Now we're talking about fucking gardening. Go on. <laughs> I'm not complaining. Talk to me. Well, I mean, it's, uh, from bom bombs to demolition, it's all, it's all, <laughs> it's all. Yeah. Uh, 
You're talking about the features. Same thing. Yeah, yeah, features. Um, so um, I've got one uh, customer at the minute, uh, and she wants. Um, uh, I'm putting two features into her, you know into her garden, and I've advised that on ActiveFact you spend more on less features and make them much more sort of a statement. So what we're going to do is we're going to get really old uh, battered railway sleepers. We're going to stand them upright. We're going to make a sort of small sculpture like that, and then in actual fact we're going to get one big piece um, of Welsh slate. It's called monolith. Um, so that plum slate that you get, it's drilled down the middle and then put a water feature into that so it's bubbling over the rock. But it's nothing tacky. I can't stand tack or preformed plastic stuff. I like it to look natural. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I was yeah, about yeah. to say I don't own any of that tacky, tacky stuff. Oh, well, have me around. I'll rip it out and, and put something uh, Welsh slate in, yeah. You can come Do to my like rented flat in Chelsea, mate. <laughs> 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 the landlord won't be amused. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you love her with my love of bonsai then as well. <laughs> you love her what? Yeah, bonsai. You serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I make, I make little bonsais. Well, you, you grow them. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah you trim yeah. them. So you can go across to, to shops in uh, Redditch, a place called Daiichi. Got the most beautiful array of uh, bonsais across there. And you can spend upwards of two, three, four hundred pounds, whatever, whatever money you've got in your pocket, you can pretty much spend it there. Um, but I like doing it the other way, where I go along to the garden centre, look at all the shrubs, see the tree in there, uh, and then in actual fact, you know, sculpt the tree around that. So I'll take um, a juniper bush, uh, maybe sort of three, four years old, um, uh, and then sort of style that into a proper um, cascading bonsai in an informal style. Hang on, so I thought, but you're referring to a juniper as a bonsai. Is yeah, so what all bonsai means is potted. That's all bonsai means, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I it, thought it was an actual kind of tree. Well, well it, it is, it's associated with that now, but bonsai just means the direct translation is potted. And the, but there is a tree called the bonsai tree? No, all little trees that you sort of see now that people have sculpted into various forms and make, make a bush look like a little tree is uh, just a bush that's made to look like a little tree in a I, pot. I thought there were all a thing called a bonsai tree. Well, it, like... it, it is, but it's, it's like going outside and pointing and sort of saying that's a tree. Well, it is, but what type of tree is it, you know, etc. So, so, so bonsai, bonsai just, just means a whole, whole array of things. Bonsai just refers to the way it's been, it's been looked after, can't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'll start with, uh, you'll start with a, a shrub. You'll see the, tr the tree shape in there, the, the main stem and how you can move the branches off that. There's a number of different styles you can do. Um, my favourite is the informal, so it's got a bit of a bend in it and it looks more sort of like you would see a tree in nature. Um, the formal style is very upright and very symmetrical. Um, Semi-cascade, where you could take... I've got a paracantha at the minute, which is, you know, the um, you know the bushes that you see the birds go mad for with the little orange berries on it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's very spiky and thorny. Um, I've got that in a very tall pot, and it's, it's called the semi-cascade design. So it comes out of the pot and comes all the way down the, um, the, the sort of side and hangs down, and it comes out in blossom, comes out in berries in, in the year. But that is just a paracantha bush turned into like what looks like a little tree. I wish would be known as the bonsai tree. Which would be known no, as the bonsai I did not, I honestly thought there was a type of tree called bonsai. No. Like the type of wood called bonsai. Oh my god. There you go. Every day is a lesson with BGT. What are we going to talk about next? You're steering a ship. <laughs> Gardening, bonsai tree. Well, I, I, th I think where, where I was, that, that I was sort of saying about steering my, you know, my career. I think I did want to... Um, I actually wanted to talk about your, your podcast, just the podcast in general. So um, I heard about your podcast um, and I started to, um, to listen to it. 
Um, and it's funny the, excuse me, um, the things that I'd forgotten about the arm, uh, you know, about the army and, and serving were very much brought back to life again. Words, Ali, I'd I'd forgotten those. Um, I'd forgotten there was an emotion that I'd forgotten. God. Well, you know the way you're in a field in the middle of the night, and you hear and you know the birds coming in, yeah, and it lands, and you get that that moment your heart starts going. When I listened to the start of your podcast, I heard the, the you know the way you start off with the helicopter, and it got my heart going. Normal people go waka 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 for a chinook. All right, okay. Can you do that noise again? I want to get you on camera. Do it again. Yeah, your heart's only beating though if they're bringing in reinforcements or bringing in the mail or the mail or you're going out. <laughs> Any other time it's beating because you know you're going to be doing the, the flipping offloading party or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But it, it brought that all back to life and, and all of those emotions, uh, you know, that I had, you know, within the forces, like I say, you know, words that I'd for, you know, words that I've forgotten. But also when I was listening to, you know, your podcast um oh, podcasts um th there was a lot about there's quite a lot of sort of themes on there firstly really interesting people which i've got no idea why i'm on the shoot shoot hey you brought food mate he said i'll bring food get on you're on um but lots of things around you know mental health um and the more i listened to those the more i was able to relate to those and it comes at it from all different angles so the whole military thing i loved you know the the, the people that you're interviewing fantastic stories um so thanks um i you know this but you know so people are listening to this i i have got a, a program that i'm running up and down in uh, kent um so it's what 187 miles down there um, and uh, I listen to two on the way down and two on the way back pretty much um, weekly. So I'm getting getting through the backlog of them all, yeah, and, and really interesting things. But on that, um, I think I wanted to talk about where I was with, uh, and we talked about this, you know, just, just before we started. Uh, I found um, Sandhurst and when I was going through the training um, pretty tough um, at points, as you'd expect. Yeah, and you know you want it to be tough on people because in actual fact, if it's not tough on you, you know you, you you're not going to be really um, lined up for what's you know coming later on, and especially when you've got responsibility, you know, for soldiers. Um, but I find the fear of failure at Sandhurst um, uh, much stronger than the 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 will to do well, if you know what I mean. Um, uh, and we were sort of saying before that um, th that was when I was at an absolute low. It was the first. Did I you go know. in at a low? Did you go into Sanders at some form of low, or was it? No, I was uh, I, I was apprehensive about going, as you'd expect. You know, it's like before you know you turn up at depot or you know any sort of training. In fact, any you know sort of course, you're always sort of slightly um, on edge. I knew what to expect. Uh, I think I was a pretty good soldier before um, I started because I'd had four years experience of you know how to get my kit squared away all of that so that first part was was pretty good but i was absolutely terrified of failing uh, one was a financial reason because they'd sponsored me and i would imagine there'd be some sort of payback on that um would they exercise that you know i don't know but also because it was everything that i ever wanted you know to do at that point 
um, and you know would still be would still be serving today. You know if it wasn't for you know a couple of um, a couple of factors quite quite close to home and miss it terribly. Um, so, but that that fear of I may not be able to do that was just huge with me, and you know nearly too much. Then you layer on top of that, you know, sleep deprivation. Then you layer on top of that that you're you know you're 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 tired and you're hungry, etc. Um, and um, I suppose the MPs could come and get me for this, but um, uh, I I took two rounds off a off a night range, um, and I was very close, um, you know, to to ending it. Um, and I, I, I think people would sort of look at me and sort of say, no, 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 no Tony, you know, Tony's always sort of happy and all that. No, in actual fact, I've come to realise the people that are always happy um, are sometimes the the people to really look out for because they have this mask on that's always sort of happy and jovial and all that. And in actual fact, you've got no idea what's actually sort of happening inside. And they would they would frown at you and say, no, no, he's he's a great guy, he's really happy, you know, he, you know, he's you know full of life and all that. I said, yeah, that's that's his that's his mask. And then, in actual fact, you know, like anybody else, things you know, things affect him, you know, and that—that's what it was like with me. Mm. It goes two ways, isn't it? People are either people at the end of their wits are either really good at staying away from people or yep. really good at being around people and getting away with them not realizing. Yeah. I was. How did that pressure manifest itself, like day to day? Um, we, cause I can't. I can't imagine that you were terribly bad at anything, Tony and Sanders. You know. So what was causing? What were you? What was causing the, the fear of? failure any time I was being assessed I was terrified I you know terrified so you know um, uh, section 2 IC you know section commander platoon sergeant platoon commander you, you get the round robin of all of the roles I was terrified every single one um, now once I got over that first term you know I was away you know you're into the routine of it etc you knew what to expect you knew how you had to be in the field you knew what was being looked for etc um, and there, you know, but there, there was one time when I when I really screwed up. <laughs> but then there was another time, quite oddly, and actually, it's it's a good link into Northern Ireland. Um, there was another time when I did exceptionally well, and I didn't even know. And I, I don't mean to brag, but let me let me tell you about it. So you went and did an exercise. I think it was called terra firma, right? Uh, and terra firma, I think. I mean, it, it, it's a long time ago, but it was a counterinsurgency type um, exercise, right? Counterinsurgency type exercise. And they took the whole of the intake, they split the intake into one sieve pop and gave you rules. Uh, so, right, you're a mechanic, you're, you're a teacher. We even had a tramp and he was given a ration of beer. And he was just pissed for three days, four days, whatever it was. I mean, I mean, seriously, he was pissed for four days. Yeah, <laughs> a great, great guy called Fruits, uh, uh, Freddie Freeland, uh, and uh, yeah, he was just minging for four days. Yeah, but he was a brilliant tramp. He was absolutely. He was a brilliant tramp. He nailed. What qualities quality is he? Is a brilliant tramp. <laughs> well, it, it was. Imagine gonna... failing that. Imagine yeah. being that bad. You know, you can't even. Not even... <laughs> he nailed it. Yeah. He's a guards officer. Yeah. <laughs> and there we go. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. But it, it, um, uh, each given rules, and then the other half of the intake was an act of fact, you know, the, um, the security forces, yeah? And you're given all these sort of serials to do. So in amongst the Civ Pop, um, they actually had an ASU, right? Active Service Unit. Uh, and they made me um, the ops officer of it. I was in, so paramilitary ASU. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. And um, there were four or five other people. Quite oddly, all of them had Northern Ireland accents as well. <laughs> we were all 
we were all from the province, they made us the ASU. <coughs> so my day job was that I was a mechanic, so I just ran around, and then I was given cereals to run. And I just thought to myself, well, that, that, that's what I'm, I'm doing. I had to run weapons from here to here. I had to cause distractions here. I had to do such and such. Yeah. So I was getting the ASU together the whole time. And so I said, right, you're going to ping them there. That's going to pin them there. Then in fact, we're going to move those weapons from there. We're going to move device there, etc. We're going to put an IED there. And I was just in my element. Yeah. Anyway, PC comes along at the very end of it, gives me a de debrief on it. Um, he sort of says, right, you know, such and such series is going to happen, then you all need to get caught, etc., whatever it was, yeah. Um, he said, but let me give you, uh, you know, a debrief on your, on your performance. I said, performance? He said, yeah, this was, this was a command position. Was it? Uh, and he turned around and he said, never, ever go back and join a paramilitary organization in Northern Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> you were gleaming at it. <laughs> they went through all the points, you know, such and such. Yeah. But because I didn't have that pressure of this is the way you do a platoon attack, it was just like, there's your serial, off you go and run it. Uh, you know, and I know you, you always adapt to the sort of situation, but because there was no pressure on me there and I didn't put myself under any pressure, I absolutely nailed it, you know. Yeah. There. Yeah. We'll link back to Northern Ireland. Yeah. Right. No, it makes sense. That's all self induced pressure is the worst. Yeah. yeah Absolute yeah. worst. Uh, right. I'm going to have one of these now. How, right? crack on how, the did we, uh, how did we get onto that? Uh, so I, I was talking about sort of um, Sandhurst and when it was at sort of a, a, oh, yeah, a low yeah, point, yeah, and yeah. then it was afterwards when I tried to got into the, uh, into the way of it. Yeah. Well, how did you pull yourself out of that hole, that mental hole? How did you do that? It, it was only time, and it was just being on like a treadmill, you know. Um, but um, as I was saying to you before, I I decommissioned the rounds, um, and um, uh, I set them in resin. Uh, well, I set one of them in in, in resin, um, and I always use that as a reminder now to sort of say, you know, there was a really low point tone, uh, and an act of fact, you know, you you can get through this. And in fact, you just literally just have to. I, I think personally, you've got to just break it down into tiny, tiny, tiny little steps, you know. And and that's what sort of helped me. That uh, although I was at Sandhurst, there was a lot of pressure, etc. Um, and I'm not saying that that's the you know the most pressurised situation, but at that time, I was n not in a good place. You know, the, um, the 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 fear of failure was was a big deal. But I think what got through got me through it. Um, a lot of good fellows around me. I mean, really good boys, um, and having them around, you know, being in the team, the first eight weeks or whatever it was, there was loads of sort of drill and all of that, you know, that, that kind of sort of took your mind off it, you know, but but at night time, uh, you know, when you're going to bed at 12 and getting up at 5, you know, that was the time that wasn't great, you know. Go mm. yeah, eat that. Mm. Um, are you right? It's the, 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 the little steps and um, talking about the high, highly pressurised situations. <laughs> I mean, the most, it's good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Irish trite. <laughs> the most highly pressurised situation you can face is with someone with a gun to your head, really. Mm. When does that ever happen when someone's got, you know, in these mental, men, mental ill health situations? Or You're talking about what was it? Well, a temporary situation, which they all are, arguably. They mm. all are, arguably. Yeah. It only becomes permanent when you flip and top yourself, right? Um, but yeah, it's little steps, and a lot of the time you haven't got, got a clue how to get out of it. And But taking any step, any step, in any direction, which is positive or not negative, 
that's just a, it's just that's a, that's progress forward. Mm -hmm. You don't know what path you need to take. You don't know what route you need to take. You don't know what you can do to help yourself. And most of the time, you don't, especially when you're with Send. Especially in your situ situation there at Sanders, you've got no. You, you can't go to the, the DS, the director staff, and go. Uh, I ain't. I ain't good. Can I? Can I? Yeah. Can just. Can you just tone down the pressure? <laughs> Because I'm piling enough on myself, please. <laughs> right? You can't do it. So you know. So I mean. Um, so any any positive step forward in any direction is is the right direction. <laughs> like if if you don't know what you're doing, any any direction is the right direction except backwards. Yeah. You know. Uh, but again, I go back to what were your options there in Sanders? Yeah. I'd say, so. Mm. Yeah, there, there, there what was, there what was turned a... you? I, 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 yeah, I want to drill into that. What, what turned you? I, you? You obviously didn't take your life, right? Yeah. What swayed you to the decision not to? I was intent enough that I actually took two rounds off a, a night firing range. Yeah. Uh, so it was it was on, you know, uh, and then I was actually trying to work out, uh, you know, when, uh, and also. How least to affect other people. Why'd you take two? Um, to be sure, to be sure. Remy, you're gonna miss. <laughs> yeah, to be sure, to be sure. Yeah. I've got no, I've got no idea why I took two. You know? um, I, I, yeah. Um. Yeah. I. Um. Uh, I did, but um, I was trying to work out how it would, how to, impact people in the most minimal way because somebody was going to have to sort of clear something up and I was wondering how to do that and I didn't want it to to be the guys in the platoon, etc. Uh, and um, I was in a room down in the, um, the sort of very basement down, you know, in, in one of the um, the blocks on the legs on Old College. So it was depressing in itself. It was quite sort of dark, you know, down there. Um, and I don't know, I, I think I'd, I'd got past the five-week point and I was on between sort of five and eight weeks, so there was another leave pass coming up. So I, I, I did start to get... I did then start to get, you know, a bit of respite from the, um, you know, from the pressure. Rationalising. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. and you know, we, we were we were heading down to London at the weekend, you know, with the rest of the fellas, you know, having a great time. I was catching up with you know sort of other friends. Um, so I, I think probably that gave me the um, uh, gave me the space, you know, just to just have a, a, a bang out of it for you know a, a weekend or whatever. You know. But yeah, um, I, I think it's uh, you know in a sense it's 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 allowed me to get through more stressful sort of situations you know than that, um, and um, yeah I mean I, I I always sort of think back to that and sort of say no come on Tom you can you can pull yourself out of that you know you did it once before you can do it again and how do you do it you just do it by small sort of things and I, you know I I sort of recognise it now um, you know so today for example. Uh, I got one work scheme. It's not going fantastically well. Uh, and I get a phone call. That's gone wrong. And I got a phone call. And you know we need you know temporary works coordinator. And you know we need this. And we need that. Da, 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 da. And you just you start to go like that. You know, shit. Everything. You know, the the whole of the program schedule is starting to turn red. Everything's starting to flash. People are starting to ask you questions. And in actual fact, they're they're not really. That's not really what they're after. You know, the the the, the big blow questions coming in afterwards. And then it's at points like that. So I say, right, stop. Apply the safety catch and rest the weapon. Yeah. <laughs> you just take that moment, and I know now to take that moment and sort of say, stop, right, 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 what can we do here? Right, just start that, right, then that, then that. And that's the way I get through them. And I think that's probably what I did, you know, sort of then. It was just, there were small things I had. 
um, a, a, a routine at Santos to take my mind off that. There was a lot of pressure um, being put on at the same time, but I also had the routine of every couple of weeks I was going home, or every weekend I was going home. So I just well, went to sort of see my girlfriend at the time, or whatever, um, and it made it a lot easier. Mm. You know. I yeah, I've got a, um, uh, funny enough this morning, but a similar similar situation sort of at work. Same, yeah, you, we do, you know, I do the same kind of thing. You do pro program management, I do project mm. management. And it's, and literally this morning, again, drawn on my own experiences that the mental health side of things and that take, just do anything in a positive step forward just to, to, to make progress, any progress as opposed to none. And it's a, I'm just getting overwhelmed with a bunch of stuff being thrown at me, it, uh, which rightly or wrongly should, in terms of tasks and requirements, has all affected a bunch of stuff yeah. to the point where, it's really stressed me out this morning, and, it's, and, I, and I, but I've been able to go on stop. Like, it's like you said, yeah. stop, right, focus on because it's what, the other thing is, is of all the all the things that need doing, it's not clear what needs to be prioritized. It is not clear what needs to be prioritized, and to, to sit there and try and work out what needs to be prioritized, yeah. it take longer than yeah. what it needs to, to yeah. fix the thing. So it's just to get I've just decided to go stop. Everything else can piss off. Yeah. You're going to focus on one thing. You're going to take. You're going to achieve that one thing, and that is one thing less. Just, yeah, and as yeah, you're doing yeah. that, the other stuff will line up, and and that goes back to um, uh, when uh, my own experiences in the past, where you know this sort of when people are going through tough times in life, it's 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 a combination of when it gets like starts getting bad, it ends up. It's a holistic thing. It affects everything: money, relationships, home relaxation work friends it affects everything right and you know, you don't know where to start you literally don't know where to start or what to pick off and uh and and what i what helped me uh start getting out was i i was forced to choose one of the things to start working on what i'd been doing is ignoring everything mm. just because I, I, I couldn't cope with i couldn't cope with it addressing what was going on addressing what the issues were um when I say issues like i said financial relationship all this stuff and I focused on one. I started getting one. I focused on financial one. And, and, and it, like, it gives you that, that sort of peg in the ground, yeah. whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And you know what? The first peg in the ground isn't even, isn't even, so let's take financial, for example. A lot of people are going to have financial difficulties, especially when you there's all other stuff playing into it. And just things can just spiral, as they were for me. And the first peg in the ground for me was not fixing anything, was not clearing X, Y, or Z debt. It was simply looking at the problem and listing down, okay, this, 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 and getting a clearer understanding. Because mm -hmm. it's knowledge, it's, it's knowledge. Like your, your self-induced pressure there in Sandhurst, well, a lot of it was self-induced, which led you to yeah. that moment. A lot, a lot of it was through lack of knowledge that you, you knew later on. You know, the, what the, I'm, 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 I'm suggesting, I don't know. Like financial pressure was one. You probably know now that if you had failed that course and found yourself in financial hardship and had that big debt, there'd be a way out of it. There wouldn't be a case if you're going to go to jail. You know that yeah, now. Yeah, you didn't yeah, know that then. Yeah, and yeah. certainly under pressure, you lose the ability to, a lot of time, you lose the ability to have that oversight and have that yeah. sort of strategic thought. And you don't see all all of the, all of the possibility, the, the positive possibilities yeah. that can be if if one event arises or not. You know, it's it's that it's that feeling of stop the world. I want to get off. You know, oh, stop, you know, <laughs> you're going to throw up on the merry-go-round, yeah. yeah. But in actual fact, when you get off and you look at it going around, you go, that's, that's not so bad. But you can't see that because everything is pointing towards you, you know. Um, Pick one problem and nail it. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's and that's what we started to do today with that, with that work scheme. So just get everything down. Get all of the dates down on the paper because in actual fact, I was seeing things starting to turn red one by one. You know, it was a pew, pew. Everything's starting to turn red. And it's like, no, 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 get it down on paper, then we know what we're dealing with. So when we change that, what, how does it affect that? And when you can do that, when you can just sort of see it down, I'm, I'm a big one for writing things down and writing lists. Yeah, my lists go on and on and on. In fact, great piece of advice I had on my lists, right? It was my uh, vicar's uh, wife, the, 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 the vicar that married us, his wife turned around and, and when I was at a retreat once. Uh, and I was talking about these lists. And she said, do you, do you ever put on your list take a break no great idea so i put on my lists now take a break <laughs> and it's great because i get to strike through take a break yeah yeah I, uh... because you do because otherwise you're like that 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 you know you know at, at the weekend you know obviously i had watched the rugby um uh, on there but then i also had take a break because otherwise i've got right build that do that send that do that etc <laughs> yeah yeah and i put on there take a break you know, and um, I, I say to all my guys at the minute, you know, be good to yourself. You know, and especially during this lockdown period, is be good to yourself, yeah? Everybody's finding things, you know, sort of tough. But I'm not saying don't push yourself. I'm saying push yourself, but be good to yourself. When you need to take a break, take a break. If you need to phone me and sort of say something's going to be late or whatever, you know, do that, you know. But I would far prefer that than, you know, than a casualty, having to deal with a casualty, you know. Um, and you've got to be good to yourself because um, nobody else is. No, especially in a work environment, mm. you know, unless you've got someone like yourself who's, who's sort of got that awareness. I mean, I think I think that's coming more, becoming more um, uh, to the forefront of managers' minds, you know, uh, execs, is, the, is that importance of flexibility in the workforce. Mm. And obviously it works in some roles, doesn't in others. I think most industries it does work. I, I you know, when I work at Inmarsat and... We, where I was working, the team I was working with, it was we were pretty flexible anyway, and um, before the pandemic, and we were all over the world. Uh, so and you got that, it, you you got that a line manager who is fully aware that in order to expect you to be on a call at four a.m., you know, mm. then to play the big the, the big boys game, and that well, you know. You don't, you don't have to put in the leave pass to have a half day off tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I ain't going to see you yeah. like tomorrow afternoon yeah, yeah, or yeah. whenever. It's just, you know, big boys rules. You put the work in and you'll get, 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 and you'll reap the reward in terms of flexibility yeah. in the working pattern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I want my money's worth when it comes to an outage. So we've got an outage in, um, in October. <clears throat> I want the payback then, you know. Oh, obviously, I'm, I'm not going to break anybody, but, you know, in actual fact, you know, sort of, right, take it a bit easier now, but, you know, when it's coming in October, we're going to be on 24-hour working, you know, and within the working time director, we just need to make sure, firstly, people are safe, but that's the time, you know, when to screw them up, you know. Mm. And, you know, in actual fact, it's, it's, it's pretty much a, a, a forces mentality anyway, isn't it? You reckon? Yeah, there's going to be times when, you know, in actual fact, I need a lot, you know. What unit are you in? That's not the unit I was in. I need a lot. I need more tomorrow. So I need. I remember, I remember getting off a. Uh, we did a fifty miler, mm. and it was. It wasn't long before I left. Actually, remember that two thousand nine. I think it was. Came off a fifty miler. Fifty what on, on on transport? <laughs> oh no, sorry, you were walking. Were you? All oh, right, okay, yeah, yeah. So, sorry, mate. I was dreaming. Yeah. All battalion. All battalion had to do a fifty miler. So each company was taking it turns to do it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we went out, did it. They took it too far, too long. It took far too long. It was badly organised. Oh, yeah. it just it was badly organised uh, anyway we got in 
at whatever time it was it was around about midnight i think we finished yeah. and then the we was we were back in at i'm pretty sure it was zero and i was between sergeants as well so i was in i was in as well i had to be in as well yeah, for this yeah, right yeah. it wasn't just the blokes but it was in for it was weapon cleaning like this is battalion mind it's like in for weapon cleaning at half past eight nine o'clock the next day uh because the weapons needed cleaning but it's like what the fuck man? are you fucking mad like Blokes can hardly walk, you know, because it's just, it was just unbelievable. And you think, right, you go, where is the, where is the rational thought in that, you know, where is the... part and parcel of what makes you the parachute regiment, doesn't it? There is, there's bullshit, mate. It's like, that's for training, that's for exercise. I, like, he, who was I talking to? Who was I talking to earlier? Oh, I can't remember having a conversation with. Who the fuck was it? I was on the phone with someone, a medic. I don't know, I was, it was talking to someone you know, um, who was one of the reserve units yesterday. And it, this in conversation, it was the absolutely, you need to hammer yourself into the ground mentally, physically. You need to know what exhaustion feels like. You need to know what pain feels like. You need to know what it feels like for prolonged periods of time. You need to get used to operating under those conditions, making the right decisions at whatever level you are as a private, as a flipping sergeant, as a captain, right? You have to be able to make those decisions. And I look back now and I think of my career and I think, if you put me in that position now, that physical state I was in, that mental state I was in, and ask me to put me in that situation in a flipping ambush or contact or whatever in whatever operation, I, I, my, I probably wouldn't be able to make the decision I did. I could then. I'm just not conditioned for it. And you think they're pretty superhuman. Some of the some of the things that we expect people to do in the military, and you can train people to do that through conditioning in the right way. But it's not getting off a 50 miler in Colchester and getting them in for weapon cleaning the 0830. Because all you do there is you lose all respect for your fucking, yeah. your fucking blokes. Like, what are you gaining from that? Absolutely zero. Zero. They've just done 50 miler. It's not like they did five. <laughs> you know, that's mm. an achievement. But it's got to be measured. And I think, going back, the, the, what, one thing, the pandemic, I think, is, is hopefully has been really good for, just in general, for workforces everywhere. In, again, in general, if it doesn't affect all industries, is that people, managers will be more flexible with people and they will recognise more that actually, if I let them do, if I let them do things, if I let this employee do this the way they want to do it or in the environment they want to do it, mm. they're going to be as equally productive or more productive. Because I've certainly been more productive since I've been, since the pandemic's hit. And I was working from home predominantly before, uh, before and predominantly anyway. Right, but now we've got even more flexibility. I'm always back. I can cut my own mustard and do what I need to do when I need to do it. Mm. Which means, so the way I look at things now, not the way I look at the way I think do things now, is I do things when I feel like doing them. A lot of the work I do, it takes a lot, a lot of depth of thought. I need specific kinds of thought to do to do specific things. And if my mind in the right place, I'm going to sit in front of a laptop for an hour and not be able to do it. Mm. So I tend not to. Um, for those kind of work, I tend not to schedule them into my diary. But if I think, oh, I fancy doing that now. Well, everything stops. I'm going to do that now. My brain feels like doing it, which means it's switched on to that way of thinking. Let's get it done. Mm. Um, yeah, God, I would be on the business now. Should we start a bonsai tree business and let, <laughs> and let, let our employees work from home? <laughs> Man, it's got my vote. <laughs> Yeah, I'll get some bonsai seeds. Yeah. Some bonsai seeds. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were fucking trees until earlier. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll go and get some bonsai seeds. Yeah. Are you finishing yeah. that? Yeah. Oh, 
you want to? No. Yeah, you, no, I was asking because yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I was on my monologue there and oh. you didn't decide to finish it. Um, what have we covered that you, that you wanted to cover? What have we not covered that you wanted to cover? I think I've had a lovely chat with you. You know what we on? I were in six minutes, mate. Well, um, what, what, how did you find getting out? What did you, did you go straight into program management? Um, no, I, 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 I joined, uh, sorry, I joined an organization, um, here. Firstly, I spent all my pension money on going around the world with my wife. I just thought, stuff it. I mean, the army's taking me around the world. I get the view from the world from behind barbed wire. Um, now, Sarah, I'm, I'm going to take you around, um, around the world. And you can get these, uh, around the world tickets. If you keep going one way, you can have as many flights as, uh, as, uh, as you want. I didn't know that. Explain to me how that works. Um, so with like, well, it, it might be different now, uh, but uh, at the time you could go with BA or KLM or any of the big, um, I think we went with Virgin. As long as you kept going the same way around the world, as in, you know, if you start and go here and we went to Malaysia, then we went on to Australia, then we went to New Zealand, then we went to LA, then we came back. As long as you keep going that way, you can, you can put 10, 15 stops in, 20, whatever you wanted, yeah. Um, so we did that, but the um, the main thrust of that, I suppose, was in the back of our minds to sort of see whether we whether we would consider emigrating to New Zealand or or Australia. At least it was in the back of my mind. Um, oh, we didn't. We had a great time. Uh, like I say, I spent every single penny on it. Um, I actually left the forces on St Patrick's Day, two thousand and five. So seventeenth of March, two thousand and five. But with all of the um, uh, accrued leave and you know the resettlement leave and all of that you get um i'd actually sort of left i think maybe in sort of january or february um so when it came to the 17th of march i got um sarah to take a picture of me hugging a tree and i sent it to all my friends and said it's official i'm not a tree hugger <laughs> <laughs> i know that's not politically correct to say that but you know what it was a bit of a gag for the rest of the boys at the, at the, know, i think that time. one's flying under the radar actually tree hugger uh, i think you can get away with that still nah. It, is it, was, it, was, it was just a bit of fun to send them back to the boys, but um, no, it was a great time, but, and quite luckily, just before I left, there was a job came up in, in Leamington as an uh, engineering manager. Uh, I left and went, um, uh, joined that when I came back. Um, it, was, um, it was a great company. Uh, in fact, it's doing very well now, but it was too much of a step for me being massive organization down to a company of 50 employees. Um, so then um, there was a job that had been for before um, that I was sort of second in line um, to. And um, the guy that was doing that moved up to be the general manager, and I went into that, and that was with uh, Alstom. Um, and in actual fact, I was really comfortable there because it was um, uh, managing field service resource. Um, so GEC, Alstom, across in, in rugby, all the steam turbine um, uh, guys that go on and do the outages and, um, uh, on the power stations. Um, I was running that for about three years. Um, then I went into um, uh, Wave Energy, Wave Energy Conversion Company. We built a sort of 250-ton machine that bobbed up and down in the um, in the sea. Um, it got put into Scotland, um, and then after that, uh, what did I do after that? Uh, I went back geothermal program manager for um, uh, for Alstom, which was the most fantastic job ever. I absolutely loved that job. I joined, uh, and they said, "Right, there's your budget." Uh, and I said, "Great." And and where's my design resource? Where's all the guys to do it? Yeah, I'm gone. Right. What we want you to do is we want you to go around all of the outfits in Europe and the design houses and soak up their extra resource 
and at the very end of it, come up with geothermal steam turbines, which is what Alstom wanted to uh, to get into at the time. So it was brilliant. So I, I travelled all over Europe, uh, met up with all of the different design houses, Karnovac, um, uh, other places in Croatia, Germany, Mannheim, um, Berlin, um, all sorts of um, people to meet. They had spare resource. I sort of said, can you work on that little bit? And then it was me as a a project manager to stitch them all together and come up with the design at the end of it, and then we were selling it, um, you know, and making money for the company, which was uh, which was great. I was poached out of there by an old boss who'd worked with in um, Alston before to go up to Brush Electrical Machines in Loughborough as the uh, Global Field Service Director, uh, and the task there was we had four centres um, um, of manpower. Um, um, oh. I was going to say Burgess Clabag, not Burgess Clabag. So UK, US, Netherlands, and Czech Republic. And it was SEM, Skoda Electrical Machines, in the uh, the Czech Republic. And take all those guys, bring them in together into one organisation. So when a guy from uh, Brush turned up to fix your, you know, the, um, uh, the generator, he, he looked the same. They all worked to the same standards. We brought everybody, you know, sort of together. And where we had massive inefficiencies within the organisation, where if you were sending somebody... Um, from the from the US off to do a job and you, you needed one more, you would go and get a third party resource. Well, in actual fact, there was a guy in the Czech Republic that was sitting doing nothing. Well, get him across there, you know. So we made mass massive savings uh, within the organisation, and that, that that was super. Had four great uh, country managers to to work with, uh, really, you know, sort of from the tools guys, um, and all of the uh, you know the technicians, brilliant people to work with. Loved it. I mean, it was kind of like, you know, working with soldiers. Yeah, I just absolutely in my element. Uh, and then after that, left there and then started subcontracting with, with National Grid. Interesting, mate. Mm. And uh, and also no liaison officer for uh, Forces Barbarians RFC. Absolutely, yeah. Climbing that peak, yeah. The uh, the, the start the uh, the jewel in your crown. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Doesn't get much better. I've arrived. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Megan, have you on board? Megan, have you on board? Yeah. And, um, I'm really looking forward to that. Well, we've got 200 members, um, you know, worldwide. Um, uh, well, yeah, worldwide, actually. We've got overseas members as well, yeah. Yeah, we've got yeah. Canada, yeah. Canada, USA, New Zealand. Dublin. Oh, Dublin. 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 Go on in Dublin. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Mate, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Anything super. you want to mention that we haven't mentioned? No, just thanks very much. It's been super. No, my pleasure, mate. My pleasure. I'm, it was... Uh, I've been I've been toying with the idea with Mike of uh, doing a um, could do it for the ultimate nationals, but doing like a rugby companion kind of thing. Right. And we'll sit on the new drinks. What does that look like? Because there's a TV got there on the wall. Right. We'll okay. Sit, yeah, yeah. We'll stick a match on. Yeah. We'll sit here. We'll just have a waffle. Waffle shit. Drink. Slag off the rugby. Slag off England. Slag off each other. Yeah, slag off each other. And then, uh, and then listen to it after and go, uh, should we put that out or are we all going to get divorced? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's got my yeah, 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 definitely. Mate, cool. Nice one. Super. Thanks, you. That's it. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can become a patron of H-Hour by going to patreon.com forward slash HK podcasts and you can also find out about the sponsors of the podcast right now if you didn't listen at the start so just to thank them Rugby for Heroes a not-for-profit organization raising money 
for military charities. They've got an event coming up. It's on the 26th of June. Get involved. Things are getting excited again with the pandemic dwindling down and lockdown lifting. Rugby for Heroes are all over it. Their website is rugbyforheroes.org. Rugbyforheroes.org. Also, the Aardvark Group, with their mission to rid the world of unexploded ordnance and landmines. A significant percentage of their workforce are ex-military. You should definitely check them out. And they, they their online store is going to soon be selling some kit that you may well be, well, may well be interested in. Aardvark.group for their website. Also to Monkey Mountaineering, who are run by an extremely experienced mountaineer and ex-military dude called Sam Marshall. They provide expeditions, treks, both in the UK and abroad, tailored to your exact needs, whatever they may be, at Monkey Mountaineering on social media, and they are monkeymountaineering.com. And finally, sponsoring the podcast, were the Development Society. They are a community of people who want to be better than they were yesterday. They are also run by ex-military personnel, and that's it. You want to improve, you want to improve the situation, you want to enjoy life a bit better, you want to learn new things, you want to be part of a cool community, get on to DevSoc, the Development Society. So the development society uk um, and find them on social media under the same name and definitely sign up for their daily waves newsletter. I'm signed up and it is packed full of very useful information and not one piece of spam, which makes me very happy. Thank you everybody. Thank you for listening. Leave me a iTunes review or leave me a review whenever you listen until the next time out.